last week you looked at the final activity of David. Actually, uh, final days of David. Actually, of course, the first part of this chapter uh, will deal with um, David's final instructions to Solomon before he actually dies. So, uh, but we uh, saw the Bible draws a clear connection between David's bad parenting and the moral state of his children. And you know, again, it's it's there's a sense in which it's it's easy to beat this to death because of. We see all around us what happens when we don't raise our children as we should and teach them God's word and so forth. But uh, the Bible is very clear about it. Uh, those who lead uh, should be the ones who first serve and not uh, do it for the praise of men. Because we saw that in Adonijah and his uh, vainness and wanting to be king and vanity. And it's not their outward attributes that matter as much as their inward not to discount outward attributes and so forth, but uh, a first leader should uh, have the right character, and we draw a connection between that and the elders and the uh, deacons in the church, for instance. Those who love the Lord and his kingdom get involved in building it up. We saw this with Nathan, Bathsheba, and David. There was an attack upon the kingdom. They did not just sit back and pray about it, uh, so to speak, but they did what they could. And we you know, reminded ourselves about the, you know, in other words, if, if we're passionate about the Lord, we're passionate about his people, we're passionate about the kingdom and the gospel, and you cannot be passionate and love something and then sit back idly and just pray about it. And, and we don't, it doesn't work in our own life. You know, you're passionate about your family or Whatever, you, you are involved in it. And, and sometimes Christians get very dispassionate about the Lord and about the church and about one another and about souls. And that's something that we need to guard against. That's not the, uh, what we see, certainly, in the Word of God. And then uh, Kings David and Solomon pictured to us Christ defeating our enemies and securing what is necessary to build the everlasting kingdom. And we saw David setting aside all the material that Solomon later takes and builds the temple with. So some of the things that we dealt with last week. Maybe for time's sake we won't read. I was going to read the first half of chapter 2, but um, I'm not sure. You know, we're going to have trouble getting through this as it is. But um, <clears throat> I want to read a little bit of it here. It says in, uh, that when David's time drew near, he commanded Solomon his son, saying, <clears throat> I'm about to go to the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man and keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, his testimonies, as it is written in the law of Moses, that you may prosper in all that you do, and wherever you turn, that the Lord may establish his word that he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons pay close attention to their way and walk before me in faithfulness with all their heart, with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. And so here we have David's last charge, and there's a sense in which we want to compare to when we raise our children, when we send them out, is this the way we send them out? Because I think there's a good example for us here. But we've seen here God establishing his kingdom, his way. Um, in chapter one, it deals with who is going to succeed David. We saw all the intrigue of that, and now, of course, that's been taken care of. And so now, in this chapter, 
uh, it shows Solomon securing his position and establishing the kingdom itself. And this chapter is going to be not about just about David's charge to Solomon, but now uh, there's still a few people out there who were involved in the uh, resurrection, as it were, or whatever, and he has got to deal with them. And so that's kind of the things that we'll cover today. But the first thing we're reminded of here is that death is coming for us all. David says, I'm going the way of all the earth. No one's escaping death. And uh, so he understands that, and he, he right up to the very time that he dies, he's uh, involved in serving the Lord and taking care of business. He doesn't just give up. He doesn't say, well, I'm old. It doesn't matter. Again, if we're passionate about the things of God, we will be involved in the ministry of the kingdom of God. Now, what's interesting here, though, is that at death, David is no longer king. Now, I don't mean that in a physical sense. Yes, in a sense, Solomon has been uh, coordinated. He's king. But notice here that in chapter 2, up until this point, he has always been called King David. Now, all of a sudden, it's just David. Because uh, no, no matter what you do in this life, when you meet your maker... Everything you've done and, and gained, whatever titles you've amassed, you leave them behind. You meet, we meet the Lord naked. Nothing. Uh, we're, we're just sinners saved by grace. Either we're going to be clothed in Christ and the righteousness of Christ or we're not going to be. So it's interesting to me that in chapter, uh, two, as we see David dying, he's just referred to as David. It just reminds us. So he seems to be aware of this because he advises Solomon now how to conduct his life. Everything he says revolves around the Lord. And so again, as we read this, I want you to think about, is this how I prepare my children? Or if you don't have children, this is, again, these are things necessary before you ever are really, in my mind, qualified to have children. Uh, you should have already understood what your purpose is in having them, and what your goal is, and what your duty is, and until that, it'd be better if you didn't have any children, of course, that's not the way it works often, but if we raise our children, prepare them to become parents, and become wives and husbands, and so forth, then they have half a chance of doing a pretty good job of it, right, because it's difficult in many cases, and so it's interesting here that he says, uh, when, he, when he's talking to uh, Solomon, get this right here. Be strong and show yourself a man. And uh, I think this is interesting for us to consider. It's not saying uh, be manly. In a sense, and by the, or be, to be uh, in a physical sense, he's saying be a man. It might be some some involved, but I think what I think we we will be how we need to approach this is he's telling his son what being a godly man is, what being a the man as God has created man to be. Uh, you know, because some and and again, I think even the Bible does use that term: uh, show yourself a man to be strong. 
and, and there's a sense in which a man was created, especially the, the male was created to be strong, to stand up, to, to do the defending, to do the fighting. But that's not what David is really saying here. As you read about how he how this is worked out, how being a man is worked out. <clears throat> um, instead, he tells them to live with death in mind, because for a saint, death is is the beginning, really, of ultimate life. So, part of being living life, and of course, this will apply to women as well, obviously. Uh, but it's a to, as we just think about maybe being a godly man, a godly man understands that there's a judgment coming, that, that life really, in a, in a, the fullness of life begins at death. How many of us live with the desire to prove ourselves men in, in a godly way? Um, you know, I can spend so much time here because, you know, there, there's probably a little bit overemphasis of the sternness and strength of men in, in ages past, where be, a man was to be strong, to be almost to the point, but to a fault, in a sense, right? And strong in the family, too strong, too unfeeling. You know, and that, that certainly is a problem. It has been a problem. Today, it's like any mention of being manly, of being a leader, of being strong, of being unwielding, in some senses, un- uh, it is a bad thing. And now you, now you have the, the men out there who, uh, you, you can't hardly tell what they are because they're, they're so weak. They're, they've been kind of taught to be that way. <clears throat> and, and so forth. But let's just think about what it is to be manly, to be godly, a godly man, to be like Jesus. And here David says to be strong in the Lord <clears throat> because that, to live, that's the way God has made us to be. And to be strong in the Lord, he says, is to be established in his word. Obey the Lord. Obey all the commandments that we have under the Mosaic Covenant, he says. This is talking to Solomon. So that's what David was concerned about. Solomon, you, I want you to be a man. It doesn't mean I want you to be an unfeeling, uh, belligerent jerk who can't be told anything, right? Nothing like that. It's just I want you to know your place before the Lord and obey him. That, that's what David was concerned about. <clears throat> Our lives will look like people who follow the book. These are fighting words in a little bit, right? uh, kind of right. Uh, show yourself the man. It's kind of like if you were ready for battle, you would use similar language. But the battle is spiritual, and that's the problem. That, uh, you know, we, we got to understand that what, we, the strength we need, uh, godly manliness, is, is in the spiritual battle uh, against sin and against the, the remaining sin in our life. And, and today, many men believe it is not manly to follow the commandments of God, right? To to live a godly life. That, that's considered by, by many to be a sissy. Religion is for sissies. Christianity is for sissies or whatever. And, of course, they have no concept of the 2,000 years of church history and the, the martyrdom and, and what uh, people have done, both women, children, and men, uh, standing up for the Lord. But they don't care about any of that. But but you understand that. For many, manhood is related to how well you hold your liquor, how immoral you can live, how coarsely you can speak, right? That's what a lot of people think of when you think of being a man. Just being rough. 
not not showing any kind of your feminine side, as they say, or anything like that. But in reality, living the Christian life according to the Word of God is what makes a real man, a man before the Lord, a man who is going to receive uh, the well done of the Savior. You know, for for all our coarseness, that's not going to get us very far when we stand before the Lord, right? So just re- remind yourself, raise our sons to be that way. <clears throat> um, not, you know, not raising our sons to be effeminate, but raising our sons to understand what godly manliness is all about. And again, it holds true to uh, the women as well. There's a proper way, a godly way for a woman to uh, conduct herself and to live her life. And it is, and again, the world perverts all that. This is the world has perverted manliness in, in trying to really eradicate any type of manliness. The world has taken femininity and uh, thrown that out the window and have told, kind of redefined what a woman is. And, and let's not even get into all the other trans stuff. But that a woman uh, is to be what a man is. And a woman is to accentuate her body. A woman is to... Uh, all, all it really matters for a woman is, is she's hot, or what she looks like, you know, or uh, how far she uh, gets in life in, in the business world, and things like that. So again, the, the, but we can't—we're not listening to the world. We're listening to what the, the Word of God tells us. And so, to be a godly man is not to be sissy or feminine or weak. It is to struggle. And to persevere in the Lord. Now, a godly man knows he's, he's a sinner and he needs Christ. He, and he battles those things. He battles the things that, that often the world tells us you are to exert. Your, your coarseness or your the foul language or just the lack of self-control. And it's not easy then to be a righteous husband and father. To be godly. To to. Uh, to maybe be scorned by your friends, your other uh, counterparts who, who don't understand why you don't do the things that they do. But if you think about it, any idiot can get drunk. And, and most idiots do get drunk, right? Um, any bozo can curse. It's as easy, you know, again, you know, we're around it so much that, you know, we find, we find ourselves thinking those things right from time to time. It's easy to do that. You lose, you're not controlling yourself. Anyone can not control themselves, but only someone dedicated to Christ. Now, and, and, and the loss can be self-control, but they've got to have some reason to be self-controlled, right? And so a Christian can be self-controlled when our love for Christ is all that matters. Any man can mistreat his family, his wife. That's the easy thing to do. Lose your temper. It's easy to not control your temper, to not control yourself, right? But a real man, as God has designed it, understands that life is discipline. We are here to set an example. And that's difficult. Because there's a lot of times you don't feel like setting an example. A lot of times you just want to do what you want to do, but that's just remaining sin. Because we're not our own. We've been bought with the price. Uh, when you get married, you are not your own, but you have been, you have given yourself to your wife. Right? And when you have children, you're not your own. You, you have a responsibility to those children. And those are great things, but it requires uh, thinking through uh, what uh, all these things mean. 
And so I just like the way David, he says, you know, be a man. And then he says, pay close attention to the way you walk before the Lord. That's what being a man is all about. That's what the church needs. We need men who will lead by example. Not men who just throw the weight around, who just bark out orders. So if we, like Solomon, are going to be good kings, it begins with a proper relationship with the Lord. If we're going to, if we're going to be good, uh, you know, man is a pinnacle of God's creation. Man is to subdue the earth. If we're going to live life as we are to live it, we have to have a right relationship with the Lord. You will be and you will live like the person you are inside. And you will, uh, that will determine what kind of husband you are, what kind of father you are, what kind of mother you are, a worker, friend, church member. Uh, well, who you are inside will come out in every aspect of your life. And we might as well mention that it takes a lifelong commitment in, in, in doing these things. You know, the things that David's words to Solomon Make it very clear that, that Solomon, you are to put the Lord first in your life. And Solomon did for a while. And, and the Christian life is a lifelong commitment. Now, again, I'm not, there's not a one-on-one correlation. We, we can't uh, lose our salvation, but it, it's a commitment to the Lord. It, it's, for, it's lifelong. It's forever. And uh, if we think that at some point uh, we give up, we don't have to, then we're going to end up like Solomon. So we notice that Solomon is the king. And what does David advise him to do in order to have a successful and secure kingdom? He doesn't tell him to make treaties with other nations and marry their princesses and maintain a sizable army. Uh, That's how the world maintains a kingdom. And, and of course, all that was really forbidden by the Lord early on, even in Deuteronomy, when, when looking forward to the day when they had the king. A king was not to increase his armies, was not to increase the horses, and so forth. They were to rely upon the Lord, because Israel was to be a light to the nations. And that's where Israel completely fails in, in the Old Testament, because they were to demonstrate, here's a small, one of the smallest of nations, they were to live their lives to worship the Lord, and when enemies would come, they were to they were to call out to the Lord and say, "Lord, deliver us!" and to fight as God told them to fight. But in doing so, in the Lord protecting them, they would be a light to the nations that the Lord is great. We're able to defeat bigger enemies because of the Lord, and by multiplying horses and making trees with other nations. They were uh, doing the one thing that they were not called to do. They were, they were living like the, the other nations. So they lost their testimony, right? We are, we are to have a testimony for this world that I can obey the Lord and serve him. I can be a man and not be a drunk and not be rough and, and not be coarse and, and, you know, with all that stuff. And uh, that's okay. Because I put the Lord first. And when you act like the world, you live like the world, as Israel does, then you lose your testimony. And that's what they did here. So that flies in the, that David's advice flies in the face of what the the world tells us. Success in life is serving the Lord, period. Whether you're king or the pauper, right? That's what you are to do. Matthew 7, the Lord says, build your life upon the rock. 
course, that's Christ. And it's the word. Uh, don't build your life upon the shifting sand that is this world. It's whatever the culture is from one generation to the next. That, that's the sand. You can't build your life upon uh, the, the what, what the sin nature against you know and what it is to reject Christ. And Jesus t- tells us what's going to happen. It's going to crumble. Your life's going to crumble. You're going to at the judgment. That's going to be the end of it. So stability in the kingdom, in kingdom living, has always been found in obedience to the word of God, which can only really be done when we have the new nature. And so, again, the, the point of all this is train your sons and, of course, train your daughters to be godly before how to make money, uh, before uh, starting a family, see to it as much as the Lord is able to uh, get them to have a right relationship with the Lord. Train your daughters to be godly wives and mothers and to embrace their femininity, to, to embrace being a woman, and to understand there's a difference between men and women. And if you think about what's going on in our society today, it, it's primarily about women changing who they are. And, and uh, it's destroying women. It's, it's, it's destroying the reproduction that women have it, it, all that is it's destroying our it, it's destroying guys to some degree but by by and large it are the young girls and young women who are being destroyed by what's going on today <clears throat> so verse 5 says moreover you also know that Joab the son of Zuria did to me how he dealt with the two commanders of the armies of Israel Abner and Amasa and he kills both of them remember because David had a uh, they were, he saw them as a threat to his position. And so he, he says, remember Joab, take care of him. Remember, um, Shemai, this is the Shemai, uh, when he was leaving, fleeing the city, who was cursing him. He says, remember those who were, uh, disloyal to me, who are disloyal to the kingdom, and when it is right, uh, give the, you know, Make sure there's justice on them. And basically, uh, you know, he says that at some point they need to be uh, eliminated. Now, as we think about this as, as new covenant Christians, you know, we, we might say, well, that sounds a little revengeful. Like David is, you know, he should have done this. And, and some of the, some of this is, you know, like Joab, David should have taken care of Joab a long time ago. David didn't. But it sounds a little revenge, revengeful as we sit here in church. But remember that David is pointing out real threats to the kingdom. It's not about trying to get even and just revenge. It is telling Solomon, look, these guys uh, are not loyal to you, and so you need to justly take care of them when the time is right. And if you think about the fact that Jesus, as he's building up a kingdom, as he reigns, what's he doing? He's putting down rebellion. And he's administering justice. That's part of the, that's part of what the Lord does. We can't do it because we don't see what He sees. We don't know what He knows. But that's what that's what the kings do. They administer justice. They put down rebellion, and that's what the Lord is doing. So I think that what's going on here is reminding us about what the kingdom looks like. <clears throat> we and the lost, in particular, like to think that we can judge whether God should have done this or that. 
but only the Lord sees the beginning from the end. He's got the perfect plan. And so what we're seeing is a king being a king. And uh, David has been unable to make some of these decisions, so he's, he does pass them off to his son. As we said, saw here, uh, Joab is doubly guilty of murder and other things during his life. Shemai cannot be trusted. The only time he ever showed backbone was, remember, when David was leaving and he's cursing David because he thinks that he can get a, get away with it. Um, he showed his true character. And so we're forced to realize that from God's point of view, human life and continuing happiness is not all that matters. You think about what's going on here. David is telling Solomon, these guys deserve death. These guys are unfaithful to the kingdom. And there's a, there's a practical part of all this. This is a physical kingdom that has to be, the enemies are physical and have to be dealt with. But it's, you know, the Lord gave all men life. He created us to serve him. And, and you gotta remember that all men, women, Children are all living in rebellion to the Lord when they're born into this world. They're enmity with God. So God created us to glorify him. And when we don't do that, and the Lord takes us out, and by his grace he saves some, he shows mercy to many, To right? But when he takes somebody out, even when he takes out a Christian perhaps because they're not living right, um, that's his business. Because it's not all about human life and happiness. It's about the Lord. And, 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 and if you don't get that, if you don't get your theology right with the sovereignty of God and who he is, you'll never be able to come to terms when God uh, brings to the end a, li- a life to the end and you, and you don't know why. And you don't like it. You, you like that person, and the Lord says, you know, this is the end. My use for him now is done, according to my plan. And, and we, ha- we sometimes struggle with that, and it's because we don't want God to be God. <clears throat> so whether one dies before he's old or not is not the most important thing. God being God is the most important thing. And that's, that's not something you're going to hear very often today, because... What we hear today is that God just wants, this loves everybody the same. He wants us all to be happy and, and really sin is us just not learning to be happy, right? And, and it's just a complete, uh, twisting of what the Bible actually says. And so, uh, he tells them to, when the time comes, you'll know when it's time to, to do this. And then in verse 10, uh, David dies. And then in verse in verse twelve, Solomon sits on the throne, and his kingdom is firmly established. Because that really took place in chapter uh, two or one. And then Adonijah, you know, he's been let off the hook. We saw that. You know, Solomon has said, "Okay, as long as you show yourself worthy, I won't kill you for trying to usurp me as king." And now he goes up to Bathsheba. After all, this is. David's gone, and he says, you know, I, if you would, ask the king, ask Solomon, my brother. It's funny that he knows, he doesn't, he, he doesn't go. He tries to get Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, to do this. And, and I'd like to marry, um, Agatha, or not Agatha, but, uh, what's the girl's name here? Um, Abishag, yeah, Abishag, the Shumanite. Uh, 
I'd like to hear from my wife. And that's the signals to Solomon that it's, that it's time for Adonijah to go. Because that's why I said, I thought, I think last week, that I think she was considered to be a wife of David. Maybe a concubine, but a wife nonetheless, a legal uh, wife. And by him asking for her, Solomon probably rightly says, that is uh, usurping my authority. You are taking what is mine, uh, the king's wife, and you're making a claim to the throne. And uh, Solomon has him dispatched at that point. And uh, then that causes, uh let's see the next one, down in verse 28. You know, Joab hears what's going on. He he figures his time is next. Although I don't think there had been any, uh, Solomon had not threatened Joab at this point. But he runs to the uh, tabernacle, gets hold of the altar. Um, and, you know, someone says, well, Joab, you know, in verse uh, 29, Joab's fled to the tomb of the Lord. And, and so Solomon sent Benaniah, the son of Joab, and said, go strike him down. And uh, so uh, Benedite hesitated to do that because he was uh, in the tabernacle. But so he comes back to Solomon, and Solomon says, "Well, that's what he wants. Then do it there." So uh, so he, he kills Joab there. And he, he uh, verse twenty three, I think it is, um, not twenty three, but um, Verse uh, 31, the king replied to him, do as he has said, strike him down and bury him, and thus take away from me and from my father's house the guilt for the blood that Job, Joab uh, shed without cause. And it says the Lord will bring back his bloody deeds on his own head, because without the knowledge of my father David, he attacked and killed with sword two men more righteous and better than himself. And so that became the opportunity for uh, Joab to be put out of his misery, you might say. And, uh, then with Shimei, I think it's the last one here to be dealt with. And with Shimei, he basically, I think Shimei was worried, of course, that he was going to be, uh, next in line. And Solomon says, look, you show yourself worthy. Uh, and you do what you're told and obey me, uh, it'll be okay. And he says, do not leave, was it the city or, the, or his house? Um, yeah, I, I, this, this got this in my mind. I said, I'm not 100 sure which one it is. Um, well, I'm in the wrong chapter. No wonder I can't find it. <laughs> 36. Yeah, okay. Uh, dwell in your house uh, in Jerusalem and do not go out from there to any other place and you won't die. And uh, about two years later, I think it was, Shemai had two servants who ran off and he goes, he gets on a horse or saddles up a donkey or something and he runs and gets them and brings them back. Solomon hears about that and he sends someone to uh, execute Shemai because he did not do what he was supposed to do. Now, and so in each case, though, Solomon makes a point to point out that he's acting justly. Again, it's a picture of Christ, picture of the Lord. This is not just uh, people willy-nilly killing. 
There's a reason when the Lord takes life, when the Lord does what he does, when the Lord sends trial and tribulation, there is a reason for it. The Lord is just in all that he does. And so it's interesting to me that Solomon, as he does these things, reminds each one that I'm being just. That this is what you deserve. Shemite's case was not one of outright rebellion, but merely disobedience. But disobedience is rebellion, right? It's not that someone has to go around hating God, working against God. We're all born uh, disobedient. And we're all going to die for that unless we, of course, get saved. And so um, we're, we've already learned this it's in First Samuel. And Samuel uh, said, Has the Lord its great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Oh, behold, listen, listen, it's important. He said, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen to the fat of rams. The Lord is not concerned with how often we read our Bible, our church attendance, and I say that guardedly because it's, 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 it's not like, because he wants us to obey him, but of course you go into church and reading your Bible and knowing your work for the Bible is obey, obedience, right? So I'm just trying to think of a way to to uh, bring over the act, idea of sacrifice. I guess yeah, the Lord isn't concerned with us being religious if we if it doesn't produce anything in our life, right? If if we don't love Him, if we're not obeying Him, then whatever religious activity we're doing isn't doesn't matter. It could because it's the, that's rebellion and that's that's divination, that's iniquity, it's idolatry. You know, and so that that's of course one of the great passages in all of Scripture. But this is why these men died, because at the end of the day, they did what they wanted to do. We notice that the penalty is the same, whether you openly reject Christ or whether you profess Him as a Savior, but you still are your own king, your false professor. All these men were old at this point, but still accountable to the very day that they died. And I think that the, it was interesting to me that the that it was two years after Solomon told Shemai to stay in that house that uh, Shemai dies. And what and why? Because probably Shemai thought it's been two years. You know, surely it doesn't matter. And, and, and it just reminds us that every word that the Lord speaks shall come to pass. At the time, the Lord is not confused and forgetful like we are with time. As, as time passes, I don't know how many times in my life, you know, and I guess we've all experienced it, where all of a sudden you know, enough time has passed and you have forgotten a decision you made or something that happened, and, and you're not sure because you've forgotten, right? You've gotten confused. It's your memory, and some of us are probably worse at it than others, right? But the Lord doesn't have that problem, and so to me, it just shows us that everything the Lord said is going to take place, and it is the greatest fool to think that somehow what we learn in God's word, the Lord won't hold us accountable to that. That he won't keep his promises. He won't do what he said he will do. Because Here's a prime example why that's an error. He hasn't forgotten what Joab did, what Shemai did, and so forth. In verse 35, it says, uh, the king put Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, over the army in place of Joab, and the king put Zadok, the priest, in the place of Abiathar. And so we all see here that the Lord is rewarding the faithful 
as well as uh, executing or, or putting justice upon the rebellious, right? So we're, we're just seeing the king do kingly things. And then we're not really going to have time to finish the, the last thought here, but like down in verse 46, the king commanded, well, I think I've already, uh, yeah, I, I don't. Well, the king commanded Benaniah, the son of Jehoiada, and he went out and struck down Shemai, and he died. And so the kingdom was established in the hand of Solomon. So we're seeing Solomon establish his kingdom. He's getting rid of all rebellion so that he can reign without, you know, imperfect, the, the, the kingdom will be at peace. There will be peace and harmony, and there will be no threats. And that's what the Lord is doing now. He said, well, it doesn't seem like it's really accomplishing anything. Well, we, again, don't know what all's going on here, but the Lord is uh, dealing with threats. And, of course, we have, um, and with this we'll close here. I won't say everything I was going to say. First Corinthians 15, but each of us in his own order, Christ the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God uh, to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and every power. Well, you know, he, he could have done that at the cross. He could have done that immediately, but that was not his will. It, it was to allow uh, God to save sinners and for the kingdom to grow, the church to grow. And all along there are, are enemies, and the Lord lets them have a little bit of power here and there, but they're being destroyed as well during this time. And he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. So that's obviously going to be the very, at the very end of this age. For God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when he says all things are in subjection, it is plain that he, that is the Father, is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him. Who put all things in subjection under him that God may be all in all. So when everybody is saved, when at last, and we can go to first Peter, or second Peter three, I think talks about this. When that last person is saved, the last elect person is saved, the kingdom is complete. He will put an end to all other enemies. That is death. Of course, Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire. Satan and death revelation says uh, that will take place. And in the kingdom, that is all the elect, as God has demonstrated his mercy in the, uh, the, the annals of time, by saving sinners, right, by being merciful. When all those that he has chosen to save are saved, they will be presented to the Father. I've done what you've sent me to do. If you go back to John chapter 17 and read that high, priest, high priestly prayer. And then... Then, then the whole plan, redemptive plan of God will be finished and, and the Godhead that had different offices, as it were, for the redemptive purposes will again be reunited in a sense in, in the way they were before, uh, God created the heavens and the earth and, and will enter into the, uh, uh, eternal state. And, and there's a lot of mystery there and there's some debate even about well, what does all that look like? But that's what's going on now. And I think we're kind of seeing this a little bit in an illustrative form with Solomon as he is putting down all rebellion. And then and when we get the chapter, I think it's maybe not the next chapter, but five or so, we'll see that 
uh, the kingdom of Solomon is a perfect peace. And everybody has uh, their own big tree to sit underneath. It is a, a, a kind of a saying of everybody uh, is perfectly satisfied in the new kingdom that Solomon has uh, established, right? So those are some of the things that we're seeing here anyway. I'll, I'll kind of uh, expand on some of that uh, next or really next week. Any questions or comments? Thank you, Heavenly Father, for this day, and we pray, Lord, for your blessings upon us now in the second hour, and pray that you would open up our hearts to understand your word and to benefit from it, and may we have a good time of fellowship and praise and worship of our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.